0: Well, thank you all for being here. Good to see you at the Neighborhood Church. My name is Adam. I'm a pastor here. And this is the part of our gathering where I usually say, now if you would take your Bible and turn to, and we would be looking at some passage of Scripture, and y'all would listen to me go on and on and on for uh, 40 minutes. Uh, Sid is laughing. But that's not happening tonight. No, tonight is a night of taking a peek as to how the sausage is made, as it were. Tonight is more like a report and less like a sermon. But I think that there are some things that are valuable that we'll be exploring together this evening. So I hope you'll join me on this journey as we take a look at where we are as the neighborhood church and where, Lord willing, we might be headed. So this is really a report of looking ahead. And it's a way of also looking back at something that happened at the end of our time here In the uh, end of the spring, early summer, and that would be a church assessment. The neighborhood church is a part of a church network. We're not a part of a denomination. We're a part of a church network, and our network is called the Ecclesia Network, Ecclesia is a Greek word for gathering, right? Or for a meeting, right? And so the Ecclesia network is a relational network of missional churches, right? We're relational in that every month I'm talking with pastors all over North America that are within this network. Some churches are big, some churches are small, some churches have buildings, some churches meet in houses, but we're connected relationally. And we're connected in Jesus because we all keep Jesus at the center. Some of us have different theological leanings, some of us speak in tongues, some of us don't. Some of us are more reformed, if you know what that means, and some of us are not reformed. But we're all in this relational network and we're saying we're trying to make Jesus the center and we're trying to be on mission for him. All that to say... Within this church network, there's a man named Jim Pace. Jim Pace has pastored a church on the campus of Virginia Tech for many, many, many years. And what Jim Pace has done for many, many, many years has come to churches like ours and churches that aren't like ours. And he's performed what's called a church assessment. And what he does is interviews people to try to get a pulse of where the church is And then helps give them some enhancements or some next steps to where they might be. So what we're doing tonight is kind of distilling this 70-page document that our brother Jim gave to us. And we're trying to say, okay, where are we? Where are we headed? Now, if you'll allow me, I'd like to tell you an analogy to help us think correctly about what we're endeavoring to do. And why we had Jim come and do this assessment in the first place. Imagine you're driving down the road, North Garland Avenue, and all of a sudden the dreaded and feared check engine light comes on your dash. Now quick, show of hands, who's going to AutoZone like right then? Oh, you irresponsible motorists. (laughs) Thank you, Lou. Now, the dreaded and feared check engine light comes on your dash, and you're probably going to do two things eventually, right, Lynette? First, you're going to call Robert Vaughn, right? Yes and amen to the members of the neighborhood church. You're going to call Robert Vaughn. He ain't here tonight because he's probably fixing someone's car. He is the church mechanic. But after you call Robert, you're going to go to AutoZone or you're going to go to O'Reilly and you're going to have a friendly employee come out with their fancy what? code checker. There you go, Mark. He's going to come out, and you're going to open your door, and he's going to come under the steering column, and he's going to plug that thing in, and on that tiny little screen, you're going to see a code, or two, or three, if you're rolling in some of the cars like I've been driving. And the thing about these codes is that most of the time, it's not necessarily that your car is going to blow up if you pull out of the parking lot and keep traveling like all of you irresponsible drivers. (laughs) Y'all drive that way because you know... It's probably okay for a little bit. It's just a gas cap, says Bill. What is it with the gas cap? Y'all, can I get an amen for the, have you checked your gas cap? Yes? Isn't that crazy? Anyway, I digress. Bill, that wasn't in my notes, man. The point of the code check is that it may not blow up today, but you're not going to make the next thousand miles, right? More than likely. And so, Jim, if you will, was our code checker. And he came into our community, which is a humble thing. I was talking to my buddy in New York today. Yeah, tonight at church, we're talking about this church assessment we did. He's like, What is that? I said, You have a guy come and interview like 40 people? And he's like, Whoa. And then he takes some anonymous quotes and he goes, Whoa. And then he has a Google form with all these questions and they do strongly agree to strongly disagree, all this. And he goes, Whoa, are you serious? And I said, Yeah, and we paid money for it too. Isn't that weird? He goes, Yes, it is weird. Why are you doing this and telling people? The reason we're doing this is because Jim came to do a code check under the hood because the neighborhood church is coming up on two years in November. And we feel like we're in this season where God has some amazing things around the bend. And if our church is a vehicle, we believe that God is forming us to go the distance, but we also are humble enough to realize that I don't have it figured out. Pastor Kathy doesn't have it figured out, although she has it more figured out than I do. And Pastor Bud doesn't have it all figured out. And praise God, he's back in the ark. Thank you for praying for him. He's still recovering and taking it easy over there, but you can tell him he doesn't have it figured out. And we believe that if we're going to make it around this bend to where God may want to bring us, we want to be able to look at what's going on under the hood. So what happens in this document is every one of the questions that he asked 42 of you, some of you that have been here for years, some of you that have been here for months, some people even that just left our church. He interviewed you at coffee shops all around town, and you saw the Google form that he had on his uh, computer. While he was typing furiously, he was doing two things— He was marking your response of the statements uh, that were like strongly agree or what have you. Questions like, TNC's leadership has given the church a clear direction for the future and where you land on that. People regularly make decisions to obey God as a result of our worship services. Questions like, TNC encourages members to build significant relationships with people who are not followers of Jesus. And we have all your lovely little responses anonymously Put into the form of some pie graphs to see where we are. That's the first thing he spit out into this document. But while he was typing furiously, he was also taking the second thing. And that's some anonymous quotes from you wonderful people. Because that's some of the data that we need, right? It's not just enough to have a strongly agree, all the way down to disagree. It's a good level to say, yeah, but here's why I said that. So that's the second thing he put into there. And as we went along, he would interject some little insights and says, "Here's why I see this discrepancy and here's why I don't. Here's what it looks like in other churches, here's what it looks like for y'all's church." Sometimes he even said, "Man, I don't know if you're, like, bribing or threatening your people, but they spoke really highly and positively of your church. So I worked this question in to, like, rephrase it to get what they really think. And then he would say that, and I'd say, thanks a lot, Jim. I wish you would have just kept the first one. (laughs) The fourth thing he did was not just the pie graphs, not just the anonymous quotes, and they were anonymous. Don't worry, I'm not going to find where you sleep and come and get you because of what you said about me. And the third thing is the insights that he gave along the way. And the fourth thing is some enhancements, right? It's not just enough to have the raw data. We, we brought him out because we needed help with the code check to say, how do we make it the next thousand years? Because I don't know if you're the same way, but typically you go and ask your friends for advice, don't you, when you need a big decision to be made, right? This is how we operate. Churches should be no different. The problem is a lot of churches think we got it figured out, and we're just going to go and do what the pastor says. And this is not how we wanted to operate. Now, one of the takeaways, the first thing you need to know, is that when Jim unplugged the code checker, the first thing he said was this. And this is here on the screen here. The thing that leaps off the page when I look at these results is that the neighborhood church is a strong community of people that have been through some transitions that have honestly killed many other churches. Not only has TNC survived... But they have been able to come through it with strengths that will help them to tackle the challenges ahead. When I gather once a month with a group of pastors called the Anchored Collective that I help facilitate in East Dallas... When they ask me about this church, I'm talking about how the culture has so grown and shifted and developed into a place where there's life and joy and humility and prayer and people walking together, and it's really, truly, I need you to know this, we are a healthy and strong church, okay? Because a church is not measured by how many butts are in seats. I believe that a church is only judged on how healthy their disciples are. And that doesn't mean that you're going to go through hard times and you, know, you need to just smile and put your church face on. No, no, no. A church is only as good as her disciples. And disciples are those that walk through the valley of the shadow as well as the green pastures, but we're doing it with Jesus and with each other. And that's what Jim says resoundingly. When I'm sitting down with your people, they seem to kind of have this sense like, man, we're here for a purpose and a reason, and I love what's going on. The other thing you need to know about this is that Jim said there's a lot of cohesion, right? In some organizational circles, they'll say, it's, oh, that's groupthink. They're all thinking the same, they're all drinking the same Kool Aid. And throughout these responses, he saw a remarkable level, not of groupthink where we're all just like, yes, and this is what we believe, and yes, this. No, what he saw is we all have a strong sense of who we are, okay? The cohesion is we have a pretty good sense of who we are. Now, Here is part of the reason why we asked Jim the code checker to come and take a look under the hood. Because the check engine light in my heart and Pastor Kathy's heart and Pastor Bud's heart is that we feel like there's just some things, some angst I can't quite put my finger on that I just need help sorting out, that we need help sorting out. You know where he saw a lot of cohesion as well? Not only that we're healthy, that we've got a good thing going, we love that we can serve the homeless and the clothes closet, and we love that we're simple and this and that. A lot of cohesion there. He also saw cohesion in this fact that you guys recognize the code that flashed on the dashboard as well. He recognized through all of these responses that you guys have this sense of like, we know where we're headed, we see the horizon, but we don't know what's the first step in the path that we need to take. Your pastors don't really know that either. And that's why we're trying to discern and pray and walk together in discerning and praying. Last week was the reflection. If tonight is the report, last week was the sermon reflection that says, guys, I feel like big things are coming, but we've gotta wait well. We've gotta expect without some clarity some places, but we've also gotta be united in prayer. This is what we see the church doing all the time. And we are no different. But would you trust us that we are trying to pay attention to God and respond appropriately? Because that's the job of a pastor. So there's a lot of cohesion, good, bad, and ugly. These are some of the big overarching things that Jim saw. But I think in becoming the neighborhood church almost two years ago, what that really did for us is raise two very important questions. And this may be some crossover to you who are already bored or like you're a guest here and you're like, oh, this is lame. Here's some things that may have some import into your actual everyday life. One of the two of the questions that becoming the neighborhood church raised for us are these. God, who do you want us to be? And then God, what do you want us to do? And I need you to know that the order matters. Sometimes I'm asked to talk with people who are discerning ministry and what does that look like. And what I had to learn is to ask these two questions in the right order. Because a lot of times we want to get out and do. But the problem is when you get out and do, when that thing doesn't work, where do you fall back? Or you get out and you build and you put together this house of cards. And as soon as something just gets tweaked or something needs to shift gears, what happens to the house of cards? It tumbles down to the ground. Why? Because we're not building on the right foundation. Too much of our culture is predicated upon you are what you do. And what followers of Jesus need to know is that God first cares about who you are becoming. And he first cares about not who you ought to be, but who you are. And he wants us to understand what we sang and prayed earlier is that our primary identity is beloved sons and daughters of a father who loves us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And what our neighbors need to know is that there is a single disposition that God has toward all of his creation. And that is unbelievable, unwavering, unrelenting love. And if they would tap into that, if they would see that in the face of Jesus, what happens then is you're free to do whatever he would do. And you're free to love people who you would never love before. You're free to go and serve people who you would never want to serve. You would wash the feet of betrayers and deniers and doubters. And you would do this because you know, rock solid, I am who he says I am. But when we get the cart before the horse and we go out and try to do a bunch of church stuff, what happens is the harvest comes back and we've already received our reward because we felt good about it and it's something that kept you busy on a church hamster wheel. So one of the reasons I think there's a lot of cohesion about where do we go next is because we're not interested in like doing the next church hamster wheel. I hope you noticed that the summer, it felt busy, didn't it, a little bit? But we're still trying to take seriously this rhythm of work and rest. And we're still trying to sort out the answer to that first question, God, who do you want us to be? And here's one of the things that the assessment revealed to us is that we have a pretty good idea of who we are. And here's some of the things that you can kind of see sprinkled throughout this 70-page document. This is what you all said. You said we're Jesus-centered. And this is the part where church folks say, yeah, duh, But until you go and talk to your friends and your family and the the guy down the street, and and you start to talk about how we read the Bible, you start to talk about how the Sermon on the Mount holds more water than the Ten Commandments, especially when Jesus says, You heard it said, but I say to you, and when the You heard it was said is what Moses said, and Jesus is saying, Yeah, but uh, this, then you begin to see what we mean when we say we're Jesus centered. Jesus is the sole metric. We are not Biblians, Biblians. We are Christians who look to the Bible for God's wisdom and word. But we are a Jesus-centered church. One of the things that has become of that is because we're an Anabaptist-flavored church. Anabaptist goes back to the Reformation in the 1500s and they point to a place where they say, you know what, we need to get back to the teachings and life of Jesus. And a Christian is someone who is simply being with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to live like Jesus. Forget all that fluff. Being a Jesus-centered church means we're simple. That's a word that came up a lot in the assessment, we're simple. And at first I kind of thought, man, that's like something a southern lady says where he just ain't right. He's simple, (laughs) y'all. I've heard Kathy say that, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's your East Texas coming back. Adam, you're just simple. But what we see here is we're, we do a lot, but there's a simplicity about how we do what we do. And that's something that came through a lot. And when it's about Jesus, you, you kind of hold that really tight. And then everything else, we just kind of, it's up for a discussion. And we put it through the lens of Jesus. The second thing you see throughout this assessment, and you guys should know this, we're relationship focused. Relationship focused. We leverage everything on relationships, right? Nobody really knows that we're gathering here in this other church building at this time. The people that are here are here almost always, with few exceptions, a time or two, once a month. People are here because somebody said, hey, would you come, and you have an existing relationship. And then once you're in, the people that stick are people who've, what, made relationships. In some of the larger churches in Dallas, you can go and be anonymous, and you got to understand that neighbors in our city will want to do that. You have to understand that sometimes people want to be anonymous. You need to understand, and this was in the assessment too, sometimes we freak people out because we're like, hey, be our friend. We know you're a visitor. But the problem is, at some point, church is not just what happens when you're facing a stage. Church is what happens when you face each other. Church is what happens when you turn the chairs and face one another. This is what we see throughout in the New Testament when church met in dining rooms for the first 300 years of its existence. Because they were trying to work it out and do this, and we've leveraged everything on relationships. Someday we might have a building and we'll get more people just wandering in. But one thing I hope never changes as we look ahead is that we would never give up on the fact that disciples are made relationally, not just theoretically or theologically. We're relationship focused. Would you go to the quote that Jim has here? He says, the primary areas where TNC is thriving go back to community. This church is good at loving each other, in showing care and not just talking about it. And I read this with some bittersweet lenses because I know that it's hard because even in a church our size, we can fall through the cracks. I've failed you in times. When I haven't been there, I haven't called you, I haven't checked in enough. You know, we're going to fail you again, but we hope that this is a place that you still feel cared for, valued, and loved, and that when you're going through it, you don't go through it alone. This is something I hope never changes. It's something you see. We may do it all imperfectly, but I think we do it really well when we do it well. The third thing we see is that we're service-oriented, service-oriented. A lot of the ways that we create our identity is through the telling of stories, right, If I asked you, John, tell me about yourself, you're going to tell me about where you grew up and how this and this and music and X and Y and Z, and you're going to tell it probably in a narrative. You're not going to give me a bullet-pointed list. Maybe you would. I don't know. You're kind of weird. (laughs) One of the ways we create our identity usually is through story, through narrative. And one of the things that I need to tell you that I see in our church over these last two years is that when we went to El Paso, Right before we became the neighborhood church, we took a team to El Paso. And that was coming off of this season where we were trying to say, like, whoa, if we're gonna make it, we need everybody all in. We need everybody to have a seat on the bus to help us get to where we need to be, right? And so we went to El Paso, which was something we had talked about for a long time, but we finally followed through and went. And we were going to El Paso to be with Carlos's folks, Cesar and Raquel Canones, who were feeding. 80 families, groceries, feeding, hundreds of people in Juarez, homeless, needing food. We were going to go and help him build a shed to keep all of that food. And it was the Ken Canotoby Memorial Pantry in his honor. And we straight built it in 48 hours. And thank you, Steve, for getting on the roof because we did it fast. So we even did more stuff. And it was this beautiful sense where if I'm thinking about the identity of our church, it helped us turn this corner where we said, you know, it's, it's not just enough to say it or have it on our website. Are we really all in? Are we really going to put our hands to work? And I think what that did, that trip God used to help us turn the corner, and it really helped solidify that we are a community on mission. And we need to do mission through community, everybody together. Let me say that again. We're a community that's on mission And we need to do mission through community. And it really got us serving. And it really got us around the corner. Fast forward a couple years and you've heard me talk a lot about the fourth thing that's on that slide. And you've heard me talk about embracing difference. Regardless of where they come from, their background, the color of their skin, their bank account, their orientation, their hurts, their hang-ups, their habits. And you see what's going on in the news and on your grandma's Facebook feed, and you see the division and the confusion, and then we go to Tijuana. And we recently just talked about this trip, and one of the senses, even while we were in the midst of this trip, is saying, you know, we've been talking about these marginalized people and trying to, how do we penetrate this pocket of people in our neighborhood and I feel like going to Tijuana put hands and feet and eyes to see how it looks. And there was some word in prayer we had with some of the Ancla people where they were saying the people that are on this trip, it's as if God has placed a seed packet in their heart. And they're coming back to Garland and they're going to take those seeds and they're going to distribute them in your community and in your neighborhood. And God is going to bring the growth of what he's began in Tijuana of loving the other, not just in theory and in word and in preaching, but in action. And I really do feel like part of this is God first bringing us to a place where we got to work with our hands. But one of the things we need to understand now that the assessment shows is it's not just giving and serving. It's also about welcoming and incorporating people. We're going to talk about this a little bit uh, in a minute but one of the things that was resoundingly clear in the assessment is we really turned the corner on you got to do stuff. But he says, but you're still talking in ways of like we're serving our neighbors as if it's a transactional relationship. But we're not yet really being with them. We're not really hearing their stories, are we? We're not really trying to invite them into life and incorporate them into the community. Rather, it's something that we do over there at The Rock, And it's a part and parcel of the stuff of doing. But would we help turn the corner and say, no, no, we are a church that radically welcomes and embraces all. And not just welcome them when they're here, but would we be a church like we saw in Tijuana that goes out to the streets and puts hands on people in prayer and love and welcome and embrace. This is something that was resoundingly clear that we see in the church assessment, which factors into that fourth step. This is hard because this is where we see the horizon, but we don't see it right here in the foreground. Right? Imagine a painting of a scene like you saw in our title slide, some nice ocean scene horizon. You can see the far back, and then you can also see the beach. Some of the things we're going to talk about this next section is some of the stuff that we can do walking on the beach. Some of the things we're not yet talking about is some of the enhancements in this document, That will help us, Lord willing, get to the horizon. Because where we see the horizon going is to be this multi ethnic community. Not because it's the wave of the future. Here's why, and I hope you hear me on this. Because it's simply a reflection of our neighborhood that we gather in. And it's also a reflection of your neighborhood where you live. And I'm talking about you in Wiley, and you, especially in Lois Greenville. Me in my neighborhood where my daughter's school is 85% Latino. And you in Rockwall and fill in the blank. Even though we're a regional church, this neighborhood here is diverse. Your neighborhood there is diverse. This is not some pet project of mine and the pastor's and the wave of the future. We want to live into our name. And this is the second reason. It's not just a reflection of our name and what we want to be about in our neighborhood. It's a reflection of the heart and mission of God. We've talked a lot of a lot of the stories in the New Testament where Jesus has rezoned our neighborhood and says everyone is a neighbor to be loved and welcomed. And that means the person that looks different than you, that eats differently than you, that thinks and votes and walks and lives differently than you. Because a church is a fellowship of difference. And it ought to look different than some of the factions that we have in the broader world. The kingdom of God should reflect the heart of God. And that is a radical inclusion and embrace of all nations and all peoples. That's where we see some of this cohesion. Now, at the end of the document, it's a way of answering that second question. God, now what do you want us to do? And like I said, he's got some horizon things that we can still be praying for and discerning. And we've also got some beach level things that we can do tomorrow. And they fall under four broad categories. I'm going to skip the next slide, Maria, that talks about the core practices and gatherings and groups and things like that. Because y'all will hear a lot about that anyway. Now, what he talks about is some structural enhancements. And that's clarifying the ways of doing and organizing church. That looks like leadership. That looks like the pastoral team. That looks even about the signs we have or don't have around our church. That's some basic, skeletal, low-hanging fruit, beach-walking stuff. Second thing is some missional enhancements. That's some get out, don't just serve them, but be among them kind of stuff. The third thing is some elder team enhancements. He had several points about how we gather as an elder team. How we pray together, meet together, play together, work together. He's got a lot of things for the elder team. And then the fourth thing you see is some neighborhood group enhancements. I want to talk about some highlighted beach level things briefly as we're winding the last bit of this talk. One of the structural enhancements that he told us to do like yesterday is this. And this is strange for us, but I wanted to announce it to you guys and to you listening at home. Why you're going to see this on our website. One of the questions he asked all of you was describe Adam's role. Describe Kathy's role. Describe Bud's role. And what happened is he got a lot of these anonymous quotes filled out. And what happened is he just went through and he said, Look, dude, every single person in this church is trying to categorize you. And he said, What you have is a beautiful reflection of like, You guys are a co-pastoring team. And you need to understand, that's what we are. They are my pastors. We co-pastor this thing. But he said where we see some stickiness when they try to talk to outsiders and their family and their mom when you go and visit them at the hospital is they don't know what to say and how to describe it. Especially because when we're asked about it, you see all of these things kind of filling in the gaps where they're trying to clarify what we've left unclear. Unclear. And one of the things he said too, a lot of the elder team enhancements involves putting some circles around Adam, putting some circles around Kathy, putting some circles around Bud, or anybody else who would come after as a pastor in this church, and saying, here's kind of the spaces in which God has seemed to call you to kind of point to and remind of. And what we see here is for Bud, um, we need to clarify that even with a name. And that is a shepherding pastor. Bud wanted to be like an executive pastor. And I said, Bud, in a lot of the other churches, what that connotes is you're the guy that hires and fires and just writes checks. But we all know that Pastor Bud ain't all about that. Pastor Bud does our books, right? But you know what else he does? He waits with you at the hospital for six hours. And he prays for you on his bed at night when he can't sleep. And he meets with you when you need Help getting unstuck. He functions like a shepherd helping to guide us and walk us through different avenues of life. What we see a lot in the document is people saying he's the skeleton of the church. He's the foundation for the church. He's the one that keeps Adam like squared away because he'd lose his mind. And what we see when asked about Kathy is she brings a grace and a presence. She's the non-anxious presence of the bunch. I just feel in Kathy's presence like everything's going to be okay. She says, and she does a great way of preaching in a way that Adam doesn't, which is good. A good preacher. And so, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, true. Just seeing if you're still listening. No amens. And so what we have is in Kathy's document, you know what I did? was I took a highlighter and I highlighted spiritual formation. She's the spiritual breath of the church. She's the discipleship. She's always about what are we doing? How are we gathering in groups? How are we forming disciples? She said, you know what? Here's what everybody's kind of saying. Let's call her a discipleship pastor. Now, are we all about disciples? Of course. But Kathy's the one that's continually in our meetings pointing and saying, hey, what about this? What about that? What about that? And I really resent a little bit. Now, that's a bad word. I really bristled at this. But Bud and Kathy said, look, man, we've got to say at some point, somebody is trying to bring us and help us along with what's next. And so the best term that we could think of, and this is Jim's recommendation, is to call Adam the lead pastor. And I want you to understand that it's not that I'm like the CEO executive over this. It's just that in our eldership team and the way that God has wired us in the church is I'm typically the one pointing and saying, yeah, but next, yeah, but what? Yeah, but how this, how that? And so kind of my circle has kind of fallen to I'm primarily talking at you and primarily pointing out where we're going next. And so this is not just for us as elders, not just for you as a community, but it's also helps People that have, are not yet here kind of make sense of who we are. Now, we are always praying for you. We are always all together meeting with you. But this is something that's like a beach number one step on a structural, structural plane. You'll see some new signs, some new things like that. There's a lot of the other enhancements. But for the sake of time, we're going to move to that second category. Here are some missional enhancements that you're going to see really quickly. And part of that involved... Um, this. I told you earlier that in the assessment, we see this need to reimagine and refocus that term evangelism. How many of you, uh, no, don't raise your hand, but if you're like me, perhaps you grew up in a tradition in which a lot of the evangelism was something that was cold turkey, door-to-door, not rooted in relationship, or was an emotional appeal at the end of the service. Let me confess to you that my hang-up with that, I believe, has hindered a lot of the way I've tried to lead this church by way of evangelism. I think I reacted so strongly. Some of us reacted so strongly. I'm not just saying like, that, it's, that, that, that it's just because of that. But what happens is, if you're like me, sometimes we bristle and say, yeah, but we don't do that kind of evangelism. But what the assessment shows is at the end of the day, you cannot separate the demonstration of God's kingdom, which is the giving of uniforms and the giving of clothes. Y'all, Amy Sinclair bought 3,000 articles of clothing this week so we can give our friends and neighbors. Amen. Amen. You said 300? I didn't hear that. 300. Did I say 3,000? That would be awesome too. Next year, next year. That's a demonstration of the kingdom of God that these kids can go with confidence into their schools. But you know what else? It also involves at some point saying, you are loved, we are praying for you. We are actually building a relationship with them. And at some point it also involves declaring and bringing in people to the family of God. One of the missional enhancements is he's saying, look, you guys need to kind of step up your game in inviting people. And one of the ways we say, well, we do invite people, and he says, how? And he says, well, you invite them to church. And he says, that's good, but you know what he said? He said, usually, if I'm taking the data that we all have said, 32% is the visiting rate. In a given month, we've got about uh, 32% of people that are new kind of kicking the tires and coming in to the church. He says that's about half of what a church in this part of the world experiences. You should be seeing in a given time frame like twice as many people coming and kicking the tires. Now he, he said part of the challenge is you don't have a building that's just been sitting here for 60 years. So a lot of that is ask and inviting. So he says so here's what you guys might need to look at. Would we just pray and imagine and dream together of ways in which we can naturally invite them, not just to come to church, but into a relationship first, maybe a relationship with Jesus, how this connects the dots, things we've been talking about. But he's saying, you guys have got to tilt that balance back, not just demonstrating, but declaring. Why? Because Jesus perfectly modeled the ministry of declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God. We talk about that. I'm going to pass over, but... Uh, the, the Beatitudes, but Mark one thirty nine, we see this routinely. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, but also throwing out demons. He didn't just talk about the power of the kingdom. He showed them the power of the kingdom. What I'm asking you is to go with us a little bit, and we're going to look at ways in which we can help shore up our ways of inviting people into the front door of relationship with our church and with Jesus. The other enhancement... That goes with that is a neighborhood group enhancement. We've got a little picture I tried to put together here. Not that one, the one before. Sorry about that. I'm going out of order, Maria. For a long time as the neighborhood church, our front door into life with us in the church is the Saturday worship gathering. That's just how we do it in Dallas, right? Even non-Christians are kind of like, okay, if you warn me out enough, I'll go to church. And sometimes they come. But I think one of the places that we've closed the front door is in our neighborhood groups, over the dining room tables and in the living rooms. And so one of the things he said in that neighborhood group enhancement, and this kind of goes with the missional enhancement, he says, guys, you've got to revision your neighborhood groups. And something I told the leaders last month was, we've got to understand that we can't do everything perfectly. Some groups are all about mission, mission, mission. Other groups are all about stillness and prayer and meeting the community needs. And they're on mission within their relationships. But at a certain point, we've got to call a spade a spade and says, you can't always be all mission. And you can't always be all family. Now, our groups, I think, by and large, are somewhere in between. And we have the Austin Street service every month. We have others involved in other ways in their neighborhoods. But I think the, the way forward is not now every other group get a service project. Because I think what that would do is tilt the scale back again to say, well, we're all about demonstrating and not really declaring and inviting. So one of the things we told our neighborhood groups, and you'll be hearing about this as you start your groups back, is something we want to try a kingdom experiment. And the thing about experience experiments is sometimes they don't work. But experiments, I think, are worth trying. And one of the things we're looking at is a neighbor night. And that is to take one week off in the month simply to free you up for those relationships outside of the church that sometimes relationships within the church and church activities can prevent you from nourishing. So neighbor nights and a week in the month, it's going to be a stretch for some of you introverts. That's okay. Talk and imagine and share some of this with other people in your group. But it should be, first off, some of your existing relationships. People that you work with, play with, hang out with, are family with that need some touch point. The idea is we're going to try to bring some opportunities so that God could open some doors for a relationship with Jesus and the church. So we want to see how are ways in which our neighborhood groups can be inviting spaces that don't freak out your neighbors, that don't follow Jesus, into a time of stillness and silence when they weren't ready for it. I love a story that a family that became Christians in our church years ago said where they were invited to just have some coffee and hang out. And they're in this apartment. She knows who I'm talking about. And they're in this apartment, and they're hanging out. They're talking and this. And then all of a sudden, it's like, all right, everybody sit down and open your Bibles to 1 John. And for two hours, they had this awesome and beautiful discussion. And these non-Christians are sitting in the back saying, what's First John? <laughs> There's some balance there. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. Briefly, we'll show this slide, too. One of the things he said to clarify is this. And I don't have... A whole lot of time I want to spend on this. One of the things the assessment showed is we have an intuition of what our discipleship process looks like in this church. I told you it's all leveraged on relationships, but if that neighborhood group becomes a front door, you can start at the top of that flow chart, and you see that whether they come to a gathering, then the idea is that now they get connected to a neighborhood group. For churches in our area, we have a 98% rate of members who are involved in a small group. I'm not sure you'll find another church that has that kind of, everybody who's a member can point to a group and say, that's me, I'm in, that's it. So typically what we're going to say is, if you're coming in the front door in a gathering, let's get you in a neighborhood group, because church happens also when you turn the chairs to face each other. But if we try to have these neighbor nights, and the first goal is not a bait and switch to get them to, pray the prayer first thing what it is is just to build a relationship so that once they're having time with you and you begin to build some relational trust you say hey you know what here's what we got going on would you love to come and hear more about this in a worship gathering so those are our front doors the next step for non-christians is that we would love to when they say yes to jesus proclaim that in baptism And then if you're baptized, you're a member because you're a part of the universal church and now you're partnering with a local church. Then after that, we're saying, look, you've been around. We see you. We trust you. Serve here in our church with our kids, with our media team, with the homeless work we do. And by the way, sometimes you can be serving before you're ever a member. So that's a little bit imperfect. But the idea is you're welcome to come along. That's part of our discipleship. Recently, we just started these triads, which is the next level. Not everybody's doing that. But we want to provide space for those who want to go deeper and get together in small groups of three to four or five that meet in the same space with the idea of multiplying to invite new and non-Christians as well to start the cycle over. And in our church, we say, you live into leadership. And so if you're doing this and working and walking, we say, hey, We tap you on the shoulder and say, we think that God has called you to some kind of ministry. Would you consider being a deacon or pastor, a group leader, a fill-in-the-blank? We need help. That's some of the neighborhood group enhancements. And naming our discipleship process is something he said we really, really need to clarify and put on record. I'm going to close with this and then we're going to pray. I hope you got a prayer guide. That's how we're going to pray. This is something I didn't just put on the screen because maybe you want to go home and take this. Britt, my man, good to see you back. Would you pass this around for somebody who didn't get it? But before we get to that prayer guide, I want to read you a verse in John chapter 1 from the message. It says, The Word became flesh and blood. The Word is Jesus. The Word became flesh and blood and I love how Eugene Peterson translates it. What does he say? Moved into the neighborhood. As we look ahead as the neighborhood church, all of this is data. Unless we internalize it and say, how can we move ahead in the way of Jesus? Who's not just serving and giving stuff to the neighborhood, but is being present and available and relational with the neighborhood. And so what we see here. If I could boil it down to simply these three words, this is a parting message. We need to incarnate, which is that fancy word where for the word became flesh and blood. Y'all love Tex-Mex? Have y'all heard of chili con carne? Carlos, what is that? It's with meat. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a sauce with meat. Y'all need to know that Jesus is God with meat on. Right? <laughs> If you forget everything I just said, remember (laughs) that Jesus is God concarne. That's from our friend Bruxy. We need to be Jesus's concarne, Jesus who has gone to be with the Father. We need to put flesh and blood in our neighborhood, we need to incarnate. Secondly, we need to invite people into life and relationship with Jesus in this church. And then we need to involve them into the life and rhythm of Jesus. We need to incarnate in our neighborhood, being among them. We need to invite, welcoming all people in. And thirdly, we need to involve them belonging to this community. But ultimately, we also need you. This is who we need. We need you. We need everybody to be praying and serving and following Jesus together for God's kingdom in our neighborhood. We need you. Now, I'll close with this quote from Jim, and then I'd like for us to pray the words of this prayer together. This document, um, I'm kind of cautiously like keeping open. There's some things in there that are kind of personal uh, as it relates to the pastors, things that people said about us, but um, I I want it to be partly open to you, because this is y'all's document anyway. These are your responses anyway. But for that to be true like we're not just going to put it on facebook but would you talk to a pastor and we would love to show you those colorful beautiful pie graphs but i'll close with this quote as well as that invitation in a prayer this is what jim said god is very pleased with your faithfulness and your love tnc i believe that he is poised to bless the direction you discern and truly i mean this fruitfulness is on its way. But as we've been talking about in our church, we believe that nothing will come without prayer. So sometimes if you're like me, you struggle to have the words for prayer. Those of us at prayer school were given a track to pray. Perhaps this can be a help to you. If you're a part of our church, or even if you're not, would you take this and let's pray it now? And this is yours to pray as we continue to wait and look ahead to the good things that God has for us. So I'm going to read this. Can we read this out loud together? And I'm going to leave some space and silence in the middle of the page. Then we'll receive communion. And then we'll close our time. Let's pray these words together. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross. That everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name. Amen. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and to those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your spirit upon all flesh. And hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now take a few moments just silently to join our hearts together. And we invite you to pray these prompts that's here on your page. And then I'll conclude us with the prayer of St. Francis. And would you pray these words attributed to St. Francis? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master,